Welcome to episode 43 of The Photo Show, The Gear and Review. This is our new format. We got a lot of great listener feedback. And what you want, you wanted more how-to. You wanted more tech news. You know, the little bits where we'd say we were nerding out a little bit. Uh, we, that was your favorite part of the show. So we're going to try a, a something new today. But I want to also thank our new sponsor, Uber Stamps. No need to go to the post office when you can pay someone to do it for you. Stop waiting in those lines. Have your stamps delivered to your front door when you need them. Download the app now. Mention the photo show when you sign up for a 10% discount off your first purchase. Uber Stamps. Stamps when you need them. Now let's start the show. All right, welcome. So uh, our first segment is World Photo News. Michael, do you have something for us, right? Well, this is pretty interesting. Uh, ICP School and MoMA PS1 are merging to form a new photo school called the ICPS1, hmm. uh, the International Center of Photography School 1. Uh, and, you know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, PS1 wanting to return to its roots uh, because originally it was really more of a, a photo school than a museum or a gallery. Interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do. Yeah, uh, and Kai, you you have some interesting news about Vivian Mayer. Actually, it's Vivian Mior. That's part of what's coming out of this. They found some uh, eight millimeter films of Vivian Mior, not Mayer, uh, and she was out like berating and screaming at the subject. So you know, you, you we're used to seeing these photographs where everyone's sort of looking a little stunned or looking towards the camera, and everyone was sort of wondering how did she get that look. And you can see from this that not only is she like dragging behind the little kids that she's supposed to be uh, being the nanny for, but she would like holding up that twin lens reflex camera and she like yell at the guy in the background, like, Hey, turn towards the camera. I said, look this way. And I mean, it was kind of, kind of shocking, but um, she very clearly says to one of the subjects, I'm Vivian Mior, and so mm. now we know. I mean, it's wow. just more information is coming out about her, right? Well, that certainly would account for some of those frightened expressions we see in her photos. Oh well, this next thing uh, I'm really interested in because it goes to what you know. Michael and I are deeply involved in photo education, and this new thing is a little bit shocking. But uh, yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, Michael. so uh, Yale and Columbia have just announced a new PhD program in the visual arts. And, uh, you know, it, apparently if you have a, a BFA, uh, you can uh, now go straight to this PhD program. It's a two-year program. Yeah, skipping the MFA entirely, which is kind of wild. Uh, what's that, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our MFAs? But if you, if you do have an MFA, then it's really just a, a summer program. I think it's the same, uh, same tuition as the two-year program, but it's yeah. all in one summer. I think they're still working out the details. At least Columbia is still working out the details. I'm not sure what Yale's up to, but um, I believe the idea is to like go on a sort of art retreat where you know it's trust building or something. I don't know. They're going to look at work. They're going to make some photographs, do things, and then, yeah, can come out with a PhD. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I heard was that in order to promote the program, get more people into it, Columbia is now only going to hire adjuncts with a DFA, a, a Doctor of Fine Arts degree. Yeah, starting in 2020. So there is like a little bit of a lead time there. So, you know, don't panic right now. But uh, 
you've got uh, basically three years to decide to make that commitment. I, I know this is going to affect me because, you know, MFA was a terminal degree and I, you know, I was ma- promoted to full professor on that idea. Uh, all any raise, well, not that I've gotten a raise, but anything that <laughs> comes up, you know, is always on that degree. And now I don't know now. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, look, that's one more reason when they're going through those resumes and they're looking at artist CVs and they're trying to make a distinction when they get a, you know, 150 people applying for these positions, it'll be very easy to say, well, this person has a DFA. It's just, you know, no brainer to get rid of all the the people with only an MFA or a BFA. Forget it, right? Oh, yeah. This is just going to change the whole landscape of uh, teaching. Yeah, boy. All right. Well, that's uh, Photo World News for uh, this segment. And now for photo facts with the photo show. Oh man, I'm I'm really worried about it. I'm nervous about this. I this is going to be this is the problem with this show streaming live is that we can't go back and like fix if I answer <laughs> these questions incorrectly. Oh yeah, I have no idea what Kai's going to ask me, but here we go. I, right. I, I'm going to ask the first question. All right, I'm ready. Wait, wait. Stretch. <laughs> okay. All right, bring it All on. Right. All right, Kai. What is the distance between the sprocket holes of 35 millimeter film? Well. Oh, wait, before I can answer that, <laughs> nice trick question. <laughs> Are you talking about BH perforations oh, or KS perforations? I didn't think you'd know that much. Oh, come on, come on. Oh, well, all right. Obviously, BH, because that's the more common one. Uh, I was worried you were going to say that. Um, God, it's got to be somewhere. You would but, know the more, uh, the less common one. Yeah, of it's got to be somewhere around two, two or three millimeters. <laughs> Oh. 1.58 millimeters. Uh, I, uh, I, okay. Yeah, I was confused with the KH. Okay, all right. Oh, well. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, don't worry. I've got one for you. I, I was very happy to have thought of this one. So most people know that Nikon, that the fact that Nikon's name, the brand, uh, is no coincidence that's similar to Icon, as in Zeiss Icon, because there's actually a relationship between those two names when Nikon took its name. It knew about Zeiss Icon, obviously. So, uh, Michael, do you know the story of why uh, they chose to name it Nikon? I actually do know this one. All Uh, right, let's hear it. It's a bit of a revenge story. Koyata Iwasaki, uh, founder of Nikon, uh, of course, found Carl Zeiss in bed with his wife, and he swore he was going to destroy him both personally and financially, so he was trying to take not just, uh, you know, the company, but the name of the company. Uh, and his plan was to really just, just put him under and, and become the, the, the primary supplier of lenses uh, in the world. And you got to say, most people know Nikon. Very few people know Icon or Zeiss Icon. I mean, you know it from the lenses, but when you think of cameras, people don't think of Icon. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it a pretty salacious story. It is, and it just shows, you know. They're all human. Yeah, you got to be careful. All right. Uh, well, you got that. Oh, you got another question yeah, for me? Yeah, I got one for you. So, Kai, which film was said to have had a grain structure that was too much like a satanic symbol and ended up making some people uh, not use it? Including me. I mean, that was one reason not to use it. But um, yeah, you know, I my first photo class was down uh, in North Carolina, which is, you know, in the Bible Belt. And mm. uh mm. This is one of the first things I learned. We were using uh, Tri-X, and uh, I was looking at the catalog for all the other Kodak films, and I mentioned to uh, the professor, I was like, you know, I've heard about this new T-Max film, and, you know, and Mm. he was 
dead set against it. Yeah, dead uh, set against it. So but you didn't T-Max. know why at the time. I didn't know why, but he's like shot it right down. It was only like maybe like five, ten years later, I did the investigation. I understood what was happening there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had heard that uh, uh, Tri-X was the only film that the uh, church approved of. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Makes hmm. sense. All right. One for me. Yeah, I, I'm going to stump you. <laughs> Wait, who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice, boy. I see the dark side comes out when you get down to these questions. All right, I've got one I think might stump you. So if you're evaluating uh, paper, every time you pull out the uh, box of paper from Ilford or you're looking at uh, how uh, different developers, which we're going to get to later, might affect the film you're using, we see the sensitometry gets plotted out on H and D curves. And everyone's sort of used to looking at these H and D curves to know where the shoulder and the toe of the film is. So, Michael, do you know where the H and the D from H and D curve comes from? Oh, man. I don't think I uh, thought about this since my Sid Kaplan days at the School of Visual Arts. Uh-huh. Photo two. That's uh, right. You got your densitometer and yeah. you're plotting the different points and, you know, how much density to go from one step to the other. And you built out and plotted these H and D curves. So, oh, I'll give you a hint. Okay. They're names of the people. So H and D stands for names of people. And I'll give you another hint. One's a British scientist. Actually, I think they're both British scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like an ointment. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have no, no answer. Idea. All right. Uh, British scientist F. Herter, H-U-R-T-E-R, and V. I don't know what the V stands for. Driffield, D-R-I-F-F-I-E-L-D. So next time you're out there looking at those H&D curves, don't forget Herder and Driffield. Uh, I feel like an idiot now. Yeah. Oh, is this our final question? Everyone everyone in my photo one glass knows that one. But anyway, sure. Yeah. Yep. Last question. All right. So you you didn't answer one correctly. I didn't answer one correctly. That's where we stand so far. Here we go. All right. This one, I don't think anyone knows this one, to be honest. This is, uh, I think... uh, deep in the uh, dark recesses of uh, the beginnings of digital photography history. So here we go. What does megapixel really stand for? Aha. Ah, you thought you would stump me. (laughs) But what Michael doesn't remember is that I owned the very first Apple Quick Take digital Uh, camera, uh, which actually didn't even shoot a megapixel, but they, they were promising for it. So I've been, you know, around this digital stuff for a while. So obviously, you know, most people think of megapixel as millions of pixels squared and all that, but it's the squared part. That's the part where the real original name came from that people don't realize. Originally, it was supposed to be digital mega squares. So yeah, a one digital mega square camera. Yeah, that was uh, a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's one my students know. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. All right. So I think we wound up. Uh, that's a draw. We yep. both we both missed one. All right. All right. That's it for photo facts on the photo show. And uh, I'm just going to call out to our listeners. If you have a good uh, questions you think you want to stump Michael with, I mean, you're not going to stump me, obviously. If you want to stump <laughs> yeah. Michael with, send them in. Yes. Yeah, send those in to mail at thephotoshow.org. All right. Uh, well, this is exciting. We now have on the line, uh, we've got a number of uh, Stringer reporters that we're trying to introduce into the show. And our first one uh, joining us today is Mr. Kerry Van Pacings, who's uh, been out in Las Vegas and going around to the trade shows. And uh, we're happy to have him on with us. Hello, Kerry. How are you doing? Hey, Kerry. How you doing out there, Kai, Michael? We're doing um, all right. Yeah, it's cold here. I bet it's nice and warm out there in Vegas still. 
oh yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very nice dry heat. Um, really enjoying it. But I'll tell you, I've been inside the last 24 hours just running around this show. Um, PMC 2017, they've really outdone themselves this time. Oh, I wish uh, I could have been there with you. Uh, I, I've heard so much about it. Unbelievable stuff. I mean, really kind of just off the hook, the, the gear that we're seeing this year, you know, for everything from the lensing to the housing, the bodies, the mm. megapixels. And of course, you know, the big word that's on everybody's lips this year, bokeh. You know, oh, yeah. everybody wants, everybody wants that creamy stuff. Yep, oh, they yeah. They got to shoot wide open everything, right? That's crazy. Every time. And, you know, it, it's in, it, you know, in terms of the lenses, I mean, they just, I don't know how they do it. They keep getting sharper mm. and sharper, right? Each year. It's I, just. Yeah, I think they're, I, I think the lenses are getting brighter than life at this point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Was there, were there any standouts of lenses that you saw that you were really crazy about or? Yeah, I mean, you know, Sony had a couple of things, um, you know, just like a 4,000 millimeter lens that I kind of, I couldn't kind of get my hands off of. Mm -hmm. I just kept looking at it and eyeing it and holding it. I, I would leave, I would return mm -hmm. um, just to kind of, just to kind of keep that in my hands, but they, they wouldn't let me walk away with it. But I, I hope <laughs> they get my hands on a model, you know, as soon as it comes out. But really, you know, there's the, uh, the medium format Canon 8D. Oh, uh, so excited about that. Oh yeah. my God. They've been talking about it for months and now it's finally here. Uh, and they've got the return of this new 50 millimeter one millimeter 1.0 lens. Hmm. Um, near impossible to focus. It says in the uh, description, yeah. but again, bokeh, everyone yeah. wants it. It doesn't matter what we're even shooting at this point. Right. As long as it's creamy. I mean, yeah. uh, what do we need? We don't, we don't need detail. We just need to see that nice creamy bokeh. Yeah. That's well, it. it's Instagram, you know, it's just, it's made it so possible. And you know, of course, even the iPhone is following suit with their portrait mode and everything. Just everyone's into this look and you know, what can you do? Yeah. And Beautiful I, I can't believe they made that camera mirrorless and so small. I think it's smaller than the, the 6D now. It actually is. You're absolutely right about that, Michael. It is, wow. and it's just, and it it feels great in your hands. You can just, you can just, you know, put it right up to your eye. It just, it the the feeling of it. I I I can't even describe it. I, like I said, I wish you guys were there to really experience it. But I think that's gonna be coming out sometime in the fourth quarter. There are no promises, but I think that I think they're gonna they're gonna deliver on that. Also, the uh, return of the Pentax K1000 student film camera. Oh, really? Um, They've updated it. Yeah, I know. And we've been hearing about this for some time as well. Huh. They've updated the K1000. We got the K2000D. What? Yes. Oh, what's the D for? Has that got some digital thing? Or? That's right. Digital back option. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's such yeah. a classic. And of course, like every student has at least held one or thought about getting one. That's amazing. Right. So if you want to return to your student days, kind of get into some of that gritty 35 millimeter stuff, yeah. pick yourself up a K2000D. And you'll be you'll be in the ballpark. Well, you know, you can't go to a photo trade show without uh, wandering around and looking at uh, some of the spectacle on display. Uh, did you uh, see any good uh, boudoir photography while you were out there? It's so it's so great that you asked that, Kai, because it, it actually was really big in Vegas this year. Um, it's kind of a new trend. People are really getting into it. And. Yeah, I mean, you know, not just, you know, seeing the photography, but getting to meet some of the models themselves, mm. um, both the photographers and the women and men that take part in the boudoir uh, photography world. Astonishing. Very fascinating people. Uh, a lot of great things to say and, and great um, images, all different types of bodies, yeah. um, you know, in, in these boudoir pieces. And, you know, just even getting to, to really look at some of the clothing and you know, uh, 
I was impressed. I, I heard one of the challenges is that, uh, you know, some people are actually allergic to that body paint. So, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to have a life as, uh, you know, a model for this kind of boudoir photography, and then you break out in a rash. So, yeah, yeah, you got to be careful. It's a hazard. It's a hazard. And they and they do. Yeah, they, they there are some warnings, I think, about about that. And also, you know, just in terms of how old you can be to kind of see some of this stuff, I yeah. think they've got kind of an 18 over, 18 and over. And it can very easily slip into kind of a, a pornographic world, which, you know, obviously in Vegas. In and Vegas, yeah. Fine as well. You know, but it, but I think everything that I saw, it was clean. It was, mm. it was healthy. It was just the kind of stuff that I, you know, that I, I'd love to be working on myself. And of course, now the, the biggest problem is the insurance photographers have to carry just to be a boudoir photographer with the, the body pain and the hazards of, uh, you know, the possibility of being posted somewhere and all kinds of things now, right? Yeah. Oh, it's high stakes. No yeah. doubt about that. So, of course, with every trade show, it's not just what's happening on the trade show floor, but, you know, what, what you see when you're at the bar later that night or out on the street. Uh, yeah. Got any stories for us for uh, stuff you saw outside of the show? You know, I, I just, I was so in it, you know, at PMC this time, I, I met some really nice people. Um, and we went out for a night shoot actually, um, kind of a 4am. We had a couple of drinks. We said, Hey, you know what? Let's grab our cameras and go kind of see what we can, we can, we can shoot out here in Vegas and just the lighting, um, you know, the night lights, the moon and, and just that, that kind of calm desert once you leave the strip. Mm. Uh, you just, you really, you get into kind of a Zen space out there in Vegas if you just kind of get far enough away and, uh, just a great group of people, you know, people that were there really excited to be part of PMC, um, really excited to be just, you know, holding a camera in their hands and just taking pictures. Mm. So, you know, the night ended with us just kind of all doing, taking pictures of each other. And I'll, I'll send some of those in for you later, just so you guys can get an eye on. on Great, what yeah, I'm we'll talking. post that on the website for sure. Please do. Yeah, Please yeah. Do. we might have to do some uh, blurring, like pixel blurring of a couple spots. If I'm imagining you guys out in the desert till the sun comes up, but uh... <laughs> blur away. And you're absolutely right, Kai. It did get <laughs> it got interesting to say the least. Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie Van Pacings, thank you so very much for uh, taking the time out to call in and to give us this great report. Uh, I think uh, on our next episode, we're hoping to, that you'll do the Bushwick beat and uh, make the rounds of the galleries out there in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and let us know who's uh, got the best eats and who's shooting digital and who's showing analog work. We're really looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, get Absolutely. back safe. Yeah. Absolutely, Kai. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Kai. All right, Kerry. Yeah. Thanks, Kerry. All right. Well, that was a great report from Kerry. Yeah. Uh, um, we sort of knew that he was going to bring up uh, some of this information about these new lenses. So I acted uh, a little surprised. Yeah. Well, we I, I did download some of the PDFs and I thought, uh, you know, what, rather than just uh, spouting about which one we think is better or anything, let's go to the numbers. You know, let's get, really get to some science. And uh, we've got the performance data of both of these lenses and we can talk about the uh you know, we can go in into the modulation transfer factor and really talk about let's, you know, yeah, I'm, head to head. I'm liking these numbers on this new lens. All right. Well, uh, in that case, you talk about the new lens and I'll compare them to, I think the industry standard right now is that Zeiss Otis 55 millimeter. The one almost 4. not fair. Well, you know, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to do a head to head, you know, you can't yeah. just announce something, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever, and not <laughs> mention the Zeiss Otis. So. All right. Well, what do you got, Kai? All right. Well, let's start off with uh, in the 40% range. 
Uh, if you look at where the sagittal and the uh, tangential points meet, it's around 14 millimeters. What do you got on yours? Uh, well, my sagittal and tangential met around 20 millimeters, so uh, right. well, maybe a little one up for the uh, Otis there. Yeah, okay. Well, let's see about the 50%. I'm at 8 millimeters. What? Yeah. All right. Well, it's very low. I mean, they meet twice, but the first point at 8 millimeters. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it depends on how you shoot, really. Absolutely. I mean, I'm at, yeah. I'm at 23 millimeters. 23 millimeters, uh, they just intersect once. Look, I mean, if you have like really fine blades of grass and it's like backlit and then you want the really defined edges with uh, maybe a little dew drop or something, mm. you've got to have that real, you know, MTF value has to be precise. So, all right, well, let's move on. Uh, 60% I'm at 13 millimeters. Oh, so, you know, not very different. I, um, my lines intersected at 16 millimeters. All right. So, that's decent. Okay. You decent. know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about on a, a medium format, uh, camera too, so the the resolve power, uh, you know, is there at sixty percent. Yeah, true. All right. Well, let's. Here's our last number to look at. At seventy percent, thirteen millimeters as well. Oh, I'm at ten. Ten millimeters. So, really? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You know, as you uh, move up the line, hmm. the Canon performs really well. Like, well, for the money too. That's the thing. Right. I mean, look, everyone knows from time immemorial the you know Zeiss with. Uh, Coming in and figuring out uh, in going back, you know, almost 100 years now and talking about the difference between the flint glasses and the way everything's been mixed. It just it's hard to beat Zeiss. But for uh, a philanderer, uh, you would bring that up. You know, the one thing I, I got to really tip my hat to and we haven't mentioned yet is the sunshade on that new lens is beautiful. They oh did, they did a great job. The way that, the thing is like magnets to help it snap on in place. And you could be outside in a windstorm and that thing's not going anywhere. It's fantastic. I mean, the, the thing is really bulletproof, uh, super lightweight. Yeah. Uh, and honestly- It's like a titanium mix. And, mm -hmm. and uh, oh, that reminds me is um, they, thinking ahead and that people might lose them or whatever, they actually released data files. I think it's like a DXF file, so you can at home print one with your 3D printer if you need to, if you want to like have a replacement. Oh yeah, and and the uh, the new anodized color line coming in, reds and blues, greens. I mean, it's mm. like springtime lens hood, uh, summer lens hood. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I wonder why manufacturers don't pay as much attention to that. I think Apple, you know, I remember when they released all of those uh, the different color iPods, and it just made sense. I mean, you really need something to match your personality. Sometimes, why does everything? I mean, I'm a New Yorker, and I catch myself wearing black and grays oh, all the time. All the Time. So you know why not spice it up a little bit? You know, get some attention, get noticed. Maybe maybe it'll it'll be help when you're out on the street trying to make a portrait of someone, and they see that. Oh, maybe this guy's kind of fun. He's got you know this colorful camera, and it's not just going to be you know another boring photo. All right. Ah, uh, well, let's move on to the next section. And now for what I think is going to be one of our favorite new segments: uh, point counterpoint. Kai versus Michael. That's right. And uh, this uh, inaugural one, we're going to start off with uh, each of our favorite film developers. So Hashtag I'm, film is not dead. That's right. I'll be taking on uh, Kodak Extol, which I use myself all the time. And my favorite has always been Kodak HC 110. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Michael. Bring it on, Kai. Yeah, why don't you start off with one of the things you love about that uh uh, Orange H goo. Oh, please. HC-110 is a fantastic developer. Uh, I remember using it with Panatomic X, and one of the beautiful things about HC-110 is no matter what film you chose, 
you could, uh, you know, uh, change the ratios of water to HC110 and get the results you need. So with Panatomic X, you could get uh, something with a little more punchier grain and contrast. So you know, get get rid of some of that flatness that was inherent in that beautiful film. Oh, listen, like ever since uh, you Ansel Adams fanboys uh, read his book on uh, film development, everyone who picked up... Uh, We've already heard the problematic T-Max grain structure has Mm, been going mm. for that uh, HC-110. But Extol, one of the great virtues of it is it's citric acid-based, you know. So unlike D76 and HC-110 where you've got all this caustic chemistry that you're putting out, uh, you've got this great citric acid-based developer and it mixes at 68 degrees. Oh, spoken like a true vegan. It mixes at 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So unlike like these other ones where you have to mix them high and then bring them down low, you know, that's a real advantage for Extol. Yeah, who doesn't want to breathe in powder while you're mixing your uh, developer up? Oh, and- yeah, come on. But meanwhile, you've got like these bottles of orange goo that if they get air in them, they go bad after a while. Or I've got a, you know, packet after packet ready to go of this uh, Extol, mix it up right before I need it. Yeah. The whole thing, right? You got to, I can mix up as needed and be a little more uh, conservative about it. You have to mix up the whole thing. And then what do you have? Two big bottles of liquid. Yeah, but if I mix up, it comes as five liters, part A and B mixed together up to five liters. And then I've got an impetus to go ahead and process uh, that much film at a time because it's like, you know, sitting there ready to go. Which undercuts your whole defense about HC110 going bad. I could do the same thing. Yeah, but who does that? They don't. They like sit. They like to sit and look at it on the shelf. It makes them feel good to see that. That's uh, what nitrogen is for. <laughs> oh, really? You're using nitrogen? Exactly. Yeah, nice. I don't yeah. think so. I mean, with HC one pin, people were always like practically burning their film. They would they would forget which ratio to mix it at, and they'd like they would make these bricks. Like they they couldn't even look through the film. It was uh, so people dense. who don't pay attention, I guess. Uh, you can't beat the accutance of HC one ten. Uh, like I said, Ansel Adam, fanboys, fanboys, fanboys. <laughs> All right, well, clearly uh, Extol won on that one. Oh, and- <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Uh, this is the time to use my Saturday Night Live line, Michael, you ignorant slut. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, Extol is the winner. All right, well, um, uh, we're going to be taking suggestions for the, the next yeah. uh, point. Send point, us your favorite but- uh, developers. Yeah, and uh, if you're wrong, we won't mention it on the show. Uh, wrong like Kai. And uh, yeah, now another new segment that we're excited about. It's Guess That Photo, where Michael and I describe a historically significant photograph. And from our uh, hints and uh, descriptions, you tried to guess what the photograph is and who made it. So uh, our first one is a black and white photograph. And um, <clears throat> predominantly in the frame are two fences, two different types of fences. Mm, and uh, also uh, in the foreground are two people leaning against one of those fences. And unbeknownst to them, uh, approaching from their back is a living creature coming towards them. Hmm. All right. So send in your guesses to mail, M-A-I-L, mail, mail at thephotoshow.org, and we will select... From all the correct answers, randomly, people who are related to Kai or Michael are not allowed to participate in the show. And your shipping address must be either in the United States or Canada. Uh, and uh, the person uh, we select with the right answer will get a little bit of photo show Photoshop swag. Photo show swag! Yeah. 
Yeah, swag. We all love swag. And we'll announce the winner in two weeks. Good luck. And for our final news segment, it's the Photo Show Bulletin Board. What do we have on the Bulletin Board, Kai? Ah, well, uh, it's pretty exciting, actually. Um, everyone should, who's in the New York area who will be here in June, end of June, should go to the New York Public Library website and look for uh, a conversation that's going to be taking place between Lee Friedlander and his gran- grandson, Giancarlo T. Roma, I believe it's June 20th, and uh, tickets are available now. All right, Kai, you're just spoofing people, right? I mean, Lee Friedlander is going to be speaking publicly. I know, it sounds fake, but it's true. Uh, I don't believe it. In fact, you know, I was at I was at MoMA for the 50th anniversary of the new document show, and they had a panel up there. At one point towards the end, uh, Max Kozlov, who was on the panel, nearly fell out of his chair when, from the audience, Lee Friedlander spoke up. And uh, I saw a number of hashtags on Instagram, people saying, you know, oh my God, Lee Friedlander speaks, right? Because he's so uh, kind of famous for not, uh, commenting in public about anything about his work. So here's your opportunity to actually go and hear him in conversation with his grandson. And they're, they're going to be talking about the idea, I think, of passion projects and really talking about bodies of work he's done and, and which ones were inspiring to him. It all sounds made up to me. No, it's amazing. You should get nypl.org, I think. Go, go buy those tickets before they sell out. Well, we can't wait to hear back from you guys about this new segment. I know we're excited about this new thing. Um, you know, the conversations with guests were good, but I, I think it was kind of keeping us from getting to uh, these meteor matters. So, um, you know, there's other ways to listen to go hear photographers speak. And, you know, this way we can get you like cutting edge news and, and things that uh, will help you go out and make photographs. Yeah. You know, the things that really interest us all. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, let us know what you think. Bye, everyone.